Detroit in 2027 gets the final four. We also have Stephen Brooks on to talk about all things Michigan State football. And then the third segment, hey, five and seven might seem like a crazy record to have in a bowl game, but could it be possible for Michigan State? Yeah, that's right. We got a PowerPoint to walk you through all that. Let's go. Let's go. Our Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, it's the greatest people in the entire world. Yes, the viewers, the listeners of Lockdown Spartans, but also Mr. Stephen Brooks of 24-7 Sports, who, against all odds, still returns every single week. But before we let this fine gentleman talk, hey, I got to talk your ear off really quick, just really quick about LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Lockdown College. That's LinkedIn.com slash Lockdown College to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Uh... Mr. Brooks, we got to talk about football here in a hot second, but I want to start the show on a happy note here. We're going to mix it up here t- today. Great news coming from the NCAA because, you know, they're always just filled with such great news. Uh, Detroit gets the 2027 Final Four. Point blank, Stephen, tell me, is Tom Izzo going to be coaching in that Final Four? He will be the spry age of 77 years old, I believe, if I'm looking down this correctly. Let, let me let me fact check that really quick, but that is what we are looking at. No, that was already wrong. He'll be 72 years old. He will be 72 years old in 2027. Will he be coaching at the Final Four in Detroit? So we're talking, it's the 2027 Final Four, so 26-27 season, correct? That That is the one. So that's four yeah. additional seasons after this one. Tom Izzo will still be coaching Michigan State. Uh, I'm going to say he's not coaching in that Final Four, however. Oh, shoot. Okay, well. Hey, I thought that'd be good enough. Four more years of Izzo, I think I think people would be happy. You know, I'm trying no, to get people fine, in the actually. middle here. It's, yeah. I'm going to play the odds and just say no. I mean, I don't know. You know, let's – I don't know. I mean, there's so many variables. It's a, it's a heck of a topic in a discussion, right? Because let's say this Xavier Booker class, you know – in their second year together or something does something then what's his what does his incoming recruiting class look like after that you know if they Mm -hmm. were to get to a final four with with booker and those guys maybe as sophomores uh as freshmen is probably too much to ask but maybe not maybe if you got a you know a senior aj hogard and a a fifth year malik hall and and whatnot i mean who knows there's a lot to be decided here but uh yeah it's there's so many unknowns because of i think you know how high they could take it with that other group coming in and then you know what sort of momentum is there or are they kind of washed out from maybe a, a run at a title maybe winning a title who knows you know um but yeah no cool nonetheless uh cool to have it back in detroit probably been too long um yeah. since uh, you know we've had a huge event like that um and it's kind of counterbalances you know the other major ncaa adjacent news of the day which is the official delay of ncaa football the video games return oh. uh, not coming next summer as had long been Rumored and reported, now coming summer 2024, and just, you know, the pain never ends. So, good little counterbalance there, though. Some good, some bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, now that they've pushed that back a full calendar year, there is no reason to get out of bed in the morning. Because uh, every day, you know, it was one day closer to NCAA football 2003. But now here we are, got to wait an additional 12 months for that one as well. But no, I like that spin zone that he won't be at the 2027 Final Four in Detroit as a coach because, well, he'll 
already have won at least one, maybe two more with the groups in 2024, 25, or 26. I like that, Steven. There you go. That's a good spin zone. We we appreciate the positive vibes here. But also, too, just for context, like Jim Beheim still coaching at 78. Uh, Leonard Hamilton at Florida State, who doesn't look a day over 54 years old. He is 74 years old. Uh, Coach K retired at 74. Roy Williams stepped away at 71. So 72, it's up there, but uh, – Maybe it's not impossible, but yeah, uh, that's at the end of the day. Go enjoy retirement eventually, right? I mean, you you've already made more money than God. I, I don't know that. That's how I. That, that's how you I would see think it, so. But, you would yeah. think so, but I mean, Izzo is one of those true. You know, you can say this about a lot of people in a lot of different um, arenas, but like, I truly don't know what he would do, right? Yeah, like, fair, I mean, what fair. is he going to spend his time and money on? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't golf. Uh, you know, like regularly. I don't think he like vacations necessarily. He doesn't have like a car collection or motorcycles no. or I didn't, maybe no. it's some secret hobby that I don't know about um, and that'll keep his time occupied, but it's just basketball, you know, and I'm sure he'd be great on TV. Uh, I oh. know that, you know, he'd be, he'd yeah. be excellent on TV if, if you ever got that type of deal hooked up. But, you know, may, again, how much longer do you want to work, you know, when you have uh, all that, you know, so much time left and, and a lot of resources to do whatever you want. So it, oh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, but I do kind of feel like, I, I feel like he's got, Maybe it's just maybe I'm just being deceived by this start to this season, how good everything is, has gone, yeah, and, yeah. Know, how encouraging it's all been. But I'm, I do feel like he's got, you know, more runway than we probably all think or probably at least most people thought over the summer where maybe he was winding down or this or that. Like, I think he's got another good I could see four more years in him. <sighs> all right. Well, I, I kicked uh, this next conversation topic down the road long enough. Um, Saturday. 17-point lead, get the ball at half against Indiana. Uh, if anyone forgot, let me just reiterate, they didn't win that game. And that was for a bowl game. Uh, Steve, I, I need the insider's view right now for this very important question. Well, I'll thought-out question for you right now. You ready for this one? Now what? Just like, now what? I mean, for, for the rest of the season, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's that was a loss that, like, that that that's going to – that stink is going to stick around, you know, like that sticks with you. Um, that, that smell and, you know, just that bitterness is, is going to stay with people because of the timing, because of how it played out. Um, you know, they were sort of on the cusp of turning the corner and making people, I mean, you, you tell me if I'm wrong here, Matt, but like, I felt like the fans had sort of turned a corner to like accepting like, okay, this no. team isn't great, but Hey, they, they fought, they came back from the tunnel deal, showed yep. some guts and went out and beat Illinois on the road and just, you know, even if there was nothing flashy about the finish and you ended up in sort of a no-name bowl game, you could at least respect their fight, respect the second half and, and all that happened. Yep. Now, like, uh, you've got one opportunity to, you know, to change what people think of you for the next, what, six, seven, eight months, you know? I mean, because if they lose at Penn State, especially if it's bad, like, it's, it's going to – they're not – people won't remember that as much. It's going to be that collapse at Indiana, right? I mean, again, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think from the fans' perspective, like, that is now, like – the header uh, you know that's the headline that's the the big picture you know that's the one singular image of this season now is that yeah. meltdown and, and letting them blow you know blowing that lead the way they did losing to a quarterback who completed two passes in the year of our lord 2022 i mean this isn't <laughs> this isn't john heisman's old teams you know in no. the university of chicago right you know, not <laughs> running the triple option they've completed two passes and came back on a 17 point de- you know deficit on you uh, you know, the, there was a discussion in the press box about whether it was worse than the the 2019 loss to Illinois under Mark D'Antonio, where they gave up a 25 point lead. 
Yep. And the fact that it, that's even like a healthy debate, you know, says it all. And, and says it yeah, all. it was it was it was awful. It was abysmal. I mean, many, many different facets. Of course, the special teams breakdowns were horrific. Uh, the coaching decisions, I think, weren't great again. You know, I mean, putting the game in the hands of a kicker who's giving you no reason to put the game in his hands and just an operation, you know, not even just him. But uh, yeah, and there's like I said, they have to beat Penn State and, and do it. You know, um, I guess probably any win maybe does it, but it, it would help if it was somewhat memorable, whether they beat them big or beat them like, like the Felton Davis game with a dramatic sure. sort of finish. But that's the only – they have one opportunity left. And, and luckily for them, it is Penn State. You know, it's not like a a middling, you know – like a it's not like a dangerous Northwestern team or something. Not this year, of course. But it's, it's, a, it's a team that can give you some juice and they can change the perception. They'll go to a bowl game and that will give you another opportunity to change your perception. But otherwise – like I said, if they lose this game, and especially if it's bad, but really just any loss probably, and that Indiana game is, you know, that's the that's the profile picture for our young audience of the season. You know, it's it's if you distilled it all down to one thing, it's that game, unfortunately, and that's not a uh, you know that's not a, like I said, that's not a smell you want to have lingering around you for six, seven, eight months moving into the off season. No, it's not. But and you know, delightfully, we're going to continue this conversation about that game. I do have a thought about that Illinois game because I've been thinking about that as well. But really quick, need to talk everyone's ear off about LinkedIn. That's right. You already know what LinkedIn is. It is one of the greatest platforms out there. But hey, if you want a job, it is just quite simply the best place. Folks, these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have the access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Maybe MSU is going to find a special teams coordinator on LinkedIn Jobs in the next few weeks. Am I right? Uh, then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. That's why small businesses like rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. No one's faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And let's get Stephen Brooks back into the mix here. And that is a fascinating debate that I've been having with myself, too. It is that Was that as bad as the Illinois game from a few years back? And I got to say, and this is my question for you. Check me if I'm wrong here, but like I... I think the Indiana game is by far a worse loss than the Illinois game. And that's not to say the Illinois game wasn't a complete you know, backbreaker. That, that game sucks. However, the stakes weren't that high that game. You still had winnable games at the end of the year to get the bowl eligibility against Rutgers and Maryland. This was your best shot. Beating Indiana, a team that lost seven games in a row, a team that was down 17 points at halftime, a team that's starting a quarterback that can't throw a ball, and yet still found a way to lose. At home, uh, to me, it's infinitely worse than the Illinois game. And also, too, how much goodwill does this team build up at Illinois 17-point underdogs, beating Rutgers both shorthanded by injuries, suspensions, all that, you know, hullabaloo. Am I crazy for thinking that all that's gone now? Like any goodwill they built up is kind of just to the wayside because of how bad that game on Saturday was? Or am I just being too dramatic (laughs) over here? Well, uh, here's where there's no debate. I think. I mean, that was the worst loss of the Mel Tucker era. Yeah, I would it always say. Will you know, be. I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's. You know, you could look at the Rutgers game, but you know, and that, that was, was 18 turnovers. Yeah, as right. well. 
But yeah, and it was the first game of that stat, yeah. you know, the COVID training camp on and off, on and off type of deal, you know. Um, so there, there's some there's some excuses there. But yeah, this one was just, I mean, it was wholly unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you a guy completes two passes on you in the year 2022 when you lose the game, the game that you up by 17. So, um, yeah, and that's kind of, you know, it just ties back to what I said, though. Yeah, I do think this the course of this season, you know, I think has has put a real dent, you know, in, in people's just sort of – I wouldn't call it blind faith because there was reason, but, I mean, the, the support level and the the belief that Tucker's going to get this thing where everybody wants it to go, I think has taken a, mm-hmm. a really big mm-hmm. dent, you know, with, with the clock management stuff, with just the four-game losing streak, uh, you know, it, just a lot of different aspects. You know, it seemed like, um, you know, the it, the way the season played out, you could easily say, like, wow, you know, how much did Kenneth Walker really mean to this program? How much is how is he responsible yeah. for, for that contract and for the 11 wins and all yeah. that stuff? So, yeah, you know, versus I think a lot of – I think, you know, as, as September 1st of this year, their, Mel Tucker and his staff's approval rating was through the roof. You know, everybody, I'm sure, would have said with a high degree of confidence – not everybody, but – a good swath of people would have said with a high degree of confidence that, yeah, you know, we will compete for Big Ten titles within X years. Either, you know, with sort of those uh, those political polling questions, like do you, how do you feel about the sure. direction of our country? How do you feel about the direction of your program? Those would have all been seven, eight, nine, tens out of tens. Now I'm sure there's much, much more in the middle. And look, that's deserved. And that's what I mentioned, you know, with the Indiana, like with this Penn State game, this is the, you're down to one shot now. And fortunately it is, you know, it'd be a decent pelt to hang up on your wall, but like you're down to one shot to change that perception now. Otherwise it is going to be an off season of, of, of re-adjudicating these things and grumbling and lost confidence, you know, and, and every other, any other thing will be magnified an unexpected transfer sure. will be mag. will feel much worse than it would have yeah. a couple months ago, a recruit that doesn't sign that you thought was going to sign, you know, uh, things like that. Anything else that happens up until game one of 2023 anything negative is going to feel worse than it even is, uh, you know, just with the way this is all gone down. So, yeah, the I don't think, you know, the in terms of – it's totally fair to have questions about this staff and to not just have, like I said, sort of yeah. blind faith moving forward. Not that you didn't – they earned their, their respect and their faith from last year, obviously. Moving forward, I don't – I think it's fair to not just have blind faith because, look, some of these in-game stuff is troubling. You know, they got to figure that out. As we talked about on here, you know, you don't want to be in a position – we are nine and one going to Columbus some year and, you know, you misplay a timeout or whatever. You, you got a penalty out of a timeout. You botch a last drive, you know, that, that goes to overtime and then you lose an overtime. You, you know, you don't, you, you just, that stuff is troubling. Um, in terms of being all out, you know, jumping ship completely though, for, to me, I don't think that makes any sense until you see the recruiting okay. uh, flatline. You know, and we got finding day coming up in literally yep. just about a month, uh, which, by the way, at Spartan Tailgate, we're offering seventy five percent VIP memberships hey right now for this <laughs> year. So uh, get it up, get it going through Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Great deal, best deal of the year, lowest price we offer. Um, but I say that because the recruit, the finish this recruiting class is going to be really, really interesting. Yeah. They got a lot of irons in the fire. They already have a good core, you know, going there with. I think it's, I think it's down to twelve, maybe four stars, maybe it's thirteen now. I think it might be thirteen with mm-hmm. all in there, but um. So they're in a good place there, you know, and if all those guys sign, if they pull a couple rabbits out of the hat and sign them, then then maybe everything's back to feeling good. But then there's still going to be that little part in the back of your mind like, yeah, OK, they got these good players, but are they going to are the coaches going to screw it up? You know, we're, you know, word to John L. Smith right there. Uh, are they going to be able to put these guys in the right position and develop them and keep them? Quite honestly, that's a whole new ball game in, in college football as you get all these dudes that are highly ranked, you can't just keep stacking them up like the old days. I mean, these guys want to get on the field ASAP or they'll go somewhere that they where they can. 
Um, so yeah, the, to me, it's it's still about the recruiting and the future and where you know the belief that where Mel Tucker can take this. I understand, you know, losing some faith in it, but mm-hmm. not all of it, obviously. Um, and I think that's kind of where I'm at now too. You know, assuming they they get out of the signing period with something really really good, uh, you know, be, you know, markedly better than 21 and 22, which is which has been the trend. Um, then I think there's still a lot of reason to to be comfortable. Uh, maybe not, you know, placing all these future bets <laughs> yeah. and everything like that, but. Uh, I think it's still it's still a, a, a staff you can have faith in. And we'll see what he does right. staffing wise. Like at this point, I would be stunned if all ten coaches are back next year. Um, I don't expect a you know a full brooming out the whole house thing, but at least one change I would probably foresee. Uh, maybe a multiple. I'm not reporting that, but that's just my gut. Is I'd be stunned if all ten assistants are back. I, next I, I year. want you to imagine this fan base if all ten assistants are back next year. Just running back the old Mark D'Antonio shuffle the deck chairs situation i want you to imagine what the message boards the internet just even maybe in-person interactions would be like if, if that happens it can't yeah, happen at that point it would be a five alarm you know titanic is, is taking on water type of situation if you did something like that especially you know let it just taking aside um the whether it's even a, a prudent move to do that is it a yeah. smart move to do that just the ptsd that would trigger from the fan yeah. base alone would <laughs> would be radioactive yeah yeah so if he actually tried to pull that off i would i'd be right there with everybody else saying like this is concerning this is not good you know the Stephen a smith this is bad this is very very bad (laughs) you nailed it yeah and you know what i think it was last week that you know we were talking about which coordinators stay which ones go and you mentioned that jay johnson you think may have a stronger footprint in staying next year because of his recruiting and can you just elaborate on that? Like what has he done for recruiting that gives him the leg up on any other assistant coach? Is it, is it names? Is it, is it his identity or identifying of talent out there or what makes Jay Johnson a strong enough recruiter where maybe he does stick around for this next year? I, I wouldn't even say that's okay. my number one reason or anything that I think, you know, I think just his relationship with Mel, I think there's gotcha. a trust there. I mean, Mel got the, you know, Jay wasn't like this mm-hmm. hot shot name, or even honestly, like a very like accomplished necessarily name in terms of, you know, putting up a top 10 offense or this or that his resume didn't sparkle. You know, it was fine. He's a competent power five football coach and all that, but like Mel chose him because they had a relationship and like, he knew what he was going to get there. There's just a tighter relationship between him and Mel and Jay versus Mel and Scotty. Scott, he's never worked with Scotty, did not know him previously. So there's just sort of a looser tie there where you could easily see him cutting that off versus him and Jay have a little bit deeper roots together. I'm not saying that it means mm-hmm. he's back for sure or that he can never be fired or anything, but I just think that I do that think that sense. plays yeah. into it. And like Tucker, obviously he obviously sought out somebody like of that ilk, you know, to run that type of offense and everything. So I don't think Tucker has a big issue with the offensive play calling, quite honestly. I think he has an issue with, with the way they're able to execute with this offensive line and with some of the other mm-hmm. things personnel wise. But I really don't think, again, this is mostly just my gut, but I don't think he has a big problem with Jay Johnson. Um, to your point, to the recruiting point, though, I've been, you know, very impressed with Jay since he's been here. And look, you, can, you know, his, his play calling, I thought 2020 was kind of neutral. 2021, I thought was great. 2022, not so good. One in the middle. We'll sort of have to see how that plays out. You know, I don't think he's, yeah. he's, he's had the greatest year this year. But recruiting wise, he is he has a great eye for talent. And that's where I think his value really is. Um, gotcha. You know, uh, like, you know, Hamp Fade maybe hasn't worked out, but like he was a guy that, was pretty under the radar. And when you just looked at his tools physically, like I hadn't played a lot of RC football, like you could understand that. And he looked like a, yeah. a great pickup at the time. Um, Kaden Hauser, you know, he ID'd and flipped. 
well before Kane Hauser was this hot shot elite 11 guy. He was good. And people knew of him, but then he became, you know, one of those top 10 sort of QBs later on that cycle, basically after he committed to Michigan State, then he goes to elite 11 and tears it up there and everything. Um, there have been many, many situations, you know, covering recruiting where Michigan State offers a quarterback and they're, they're offer number two, three, four, maybe yeah. five. They're very, very early. And the guy's got like, you know, they might be a second power five, his first power five, and maybe a couple lower level offers. And then fast forward six months and Florida, A&M, LSU, Georgia are all sniffing around and or have offered. That's happened so many times gotcha. uh, since the staff has been here. And that's what's what's really impressed me is like he is he seems to identify talent really well, identify it early. There's I mean, Christopher Vizina, who's committed to Clemson right now. Uh, he was going to be, you know, Notre Dame was heavy on him. I believe yep. Michigan State was his third offer. I don't think he ever made it up here, but they offered him. I, want, I think he was number three, uh, maybe four. He's definitely within his first five, and then he blows up and becomes. I don't. I don't think he's a five star, but kid's committed to Clemson. He's a high, high. Pretty four good. Star. <laughs> uh, like I said, nearly committed to Notre Dame. I was competing with Dante Moore for that spot. DJ Lagway in the twenty twenty four class. You guys can Google these pe- these people. Uh, he's committing soon. I think he's got Florida and LSU and Texas all over. You know. A lot of big name schools on him. Uh, MSU, I think, might have been his first Power Five offer, um, gotcha. at least very, very early in the mix. So there's a track record of them offering guys that then, you know, everybody else sees the same thing and really likes and really likes to offer. So um, that you know has said a lot to me. And now he's got to close them, and he has on Caton, and he got Hamp, and you know we'll yep. see what Hauser develops into and all that. But uh, that's obviously the other part. But his his identification of talent seems to be top notch. And what I've always said with him too is like. I do think his style as a recruiter could be an advantage because he's kind of like the math teacher that's been around the building for like 30 years. And, and you know, okay. he's seen the, the locks change and he's teaching kids, kids <laughs> of his old kids, you know, like he's just gotcha. very business. Like he's like an accountant or something like versus we're kind of in this era where offensive coordinators are like, you know, the young flashy kid, flat brim, yep. Oakley's, you know, he's 29, <laughs> sure. he's a quarterback guru. He's, you know, all this stuff, uh, just a real flashy sort of, uh, energetic sort of image. He's sort of this like elder statesman. Like I have a lot of knowledge and I can pass it on to you a little, like a wa- sage wizard type of yeah. thing. I don't mean a to make a man, yeah. but I do think <laughs> yeah. that that style and just his personality and approach can kind of be a curveball that sticks out in quarterback recruiting when you've got all these other, you know, quarterback bros getting these jobs basically. Yeah. That, that's interesting. No. I, yeah. And that clears up a lot because yeah, we did have a listener email. Sorry. I forgot the emailer's name, but I just want a further elaboration on it. They're like, that was interesting. What does he mean by that? So um, that's obviously, you know, solid uh, background on all that, man. So Stephen, as always, cannot thank you enough for hopping here on this show, no matter how good or how bad the season's going for Michigan State. But uh, it's always great talking with you, Stephen. And hey, next segment, uh, we're going to give Steve a break because it's a wacky roadmap to how Michigan State becomes bowl eligible in a five and seven season. But there is a way to do it. But Stephen, hey, thanks a lot, man. You're the best. You there in Detroit if they make it there as a five and seven backdoor or something? You're there, right? First round the fifty. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna be a movie, Steven. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Might even get down to Myrtle Beach for a bowl game on December 15th or whatever day that game is, but we'll nice. figure it out. You know, oh, it's beautiful that time of year. Come on now. So oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, you're the best, Steven. Appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. And a huge thanks to Stephen Brooks for joining this show for the first two segments. In the third segment, we are gonna put on our Looney Tune shoes. 
and find a roadmap for Michigan State to make a bowl game at 5-7. and seven. But first, hey, just need to talk your ear off about betonline.net. Yes, of course, Michigan State's easiest way to a bowl is just to win this weekend against Penn State, but they are 17.5-point underdogs at BetOnline. But hey, if you got faith in our Spartans, go throw a few shekels on them at betonline.net, your number one source for your sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to World Cup soccer, esports. Look, they've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, which I'm going to guess that you do as you're listening to this right now, well, I got good news for you, Buckaroo. You can find more of those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix on through all the sports that you love. Head to the website today, use your mobile device, learn more about the trends and action that is at Bet Online where the game starts. All right. We are going to have some fun here in this third segment, but this isn't all wacky. Like, this isn't some pipe dream that has a one in a million shot of working out for Michigan State to make a bowl at five and seven. Now, if you're just a casual college football fan, or really if you've never had to worry about it, you're probably wondering what is he talking about? You need six wins to get to a bowl game, but <laughs> no, that's just the easy conventional way of doing it. There is a way for a team that's five and seven to reach a bowl game. Since 2015, it has happened less than 10 times, but dang it, it happens. There is a way for Michigan State, even with the loss at Penn State this weekend, to qualify for a bowl game. Now, you can thank Michigan State for what they did in the classroom because their APR score, which is judged on a scale of 1 to 1,000, is amongst the highest in the country. And that is the tiebreaker for teams with five wins. So, if you are listening on the podcast, uh, I'm going to try my best to explain this. There's a lot of numbers, and if you're like me, the, the, the second, like a third number in a row gets thrown out, you start getting really, really confused. I'm going to try my best to hold your hand and walk you through this. But if you're watching on YouTube, well, hey... That's right, we got a handy-dandy PowerPoint set up, ready to walk us through the path to a bowl game, whether it's the Frisco Bowl, the Cure Bowl, the Myrtle Beach Bowl, the Armed Forces Bowl, First Responder Bowl. I don't know, half of those might be made-up bowl games. I don't really know, but whatever, we're going to go into it. And really quick, CBSSports.com, Jerry Palm, he accrued all the information with APR scores and how they stack up and everything. And let's get to that first slide right now. Look. As we go into the final regular season weekend of the college football season, 73 teams already have six wins. And if you're one of those people that always cried up and down that there are too many bowl games, well, you might be changing your tune this season because 82 teams get to go to 41 bowl games. There is a metric butt-ton of bowl games, and that might help Michigan State. 73 teams. Already have six wins. That means nine more spots are available. There are 16 teams right now with five wins going into this last weekend, vying for those final nine spots. And what I have here in front of me on this handy-dandy PowerPoint is the APR score rankings amongst those teams with five wins. Long story short, Michigan State is in fourth right now for APR score. Uh, Rice put up Harvard numbers. They have 994, which is outstanding. And Michigan State is tied with Auburn, Missouri, well, and yeah, Michigan State as well. So it's a three-way tie for second with an APR score of 983. However, 
Auburn and Mizzou get the tiebreaker because the tiebreaker is just, well, the previous year's APR score. So Michigan State right now sits in fourth for the tiebreakers amongst APR scores. And then as you work your way down the line, Miami's right behind them, Georgia Tech's right behind them. Really doesn't matter all too much. Now what does matter is, well, what's going to happen this weekend? Of these 16 teams, who's favored? Who's underdogs? What can we expect to happen? And I will say that it maybe isn't a likely scenario that Michigan State still gets in with 5-7, and seven, but it's not, like I said earlier, a one-in-a-million shot. It might be like, uh, and there's you know tons of people that are way better at math than I am, uh, I would give it maybe like a 30-40% to 40% shot that this all shakes out. But let's look at the spreads for each of these games. Now, I don't want to read every single spread because that might get confusing and that'll just be a bunch of jumbled jumbled words and numbers. But here, I'll break it down to you like this. Of the 16 games going on this weekend with teams that have five wins looking for a sixth win, only five of those teams are favored in their game this weekend. Six teams are actually double-digit underdogs, which is good news. The bad news is Michigan State is one of those teams, and that's why we're having this discussion. I certainly don't expect Michigan State to come out with a win here in Happy Valley. If that makes me a negative fan, well, so be it. But 17.5 point underdogs, that's going to be quite the tall task. But, hey, five other teams have a tall task as well. So let's say, in a perfect world, because nothing wacky ever happens in college football, let's say that the five favored teams win their games and then all the underdogs lose their games. Okay, the five teams, that makes up now 78 bowl eligible teams. Michigan State is fourth behind Auburn, Mizzou, and Rice, taking up that 82nd spot. And no, I know that the easy thing to do is just root for all 15 teams to lose their game this weekend, but that's actually not going to be possible because, well, Ball State and Miami of Ohio play each other. They're both sitting at 5-6 and six on the season. Now, I have some bad news for you. It's just not that easy. Because if these two teams win, Iowa State or UNLV, they will also get to 5-7. and seven. And the bad news is, is that they were too good in the classroom as well because Iowa State and UNLV both have higher APR scores than Michigan State. So these two could be the linchpin that keep Michigan State out of bowl eligibility. Now, Iowa State, 10-point underdogs at TCU. That's good news. Hopefully nothing wacky happens. However, UNLV, minus 12. Minus 12. So 12-point favorites against Nevada. So what we're rooting for is obviously TCU to win and then Nevada to pull off the upset. Because if UNLV wins, and let's say that, you know, just in this slide beforehand... All five of the favorite teams win their games. Well, now Michigan State is the last team out. They would be team number 83. So, yes, that is the roadmap right here. Now, I was going to make a slide of, you know, rooting interest for the week and uh, what needs to happen. But it's quite simply, you need, of the other 15 games going on, you just need really four of those teams to win their game. So again, that's asking a lot here. Is it going to be likely Michigan State makes a bowl game? No, but it is far from impossible. And also, hey, how about you just win in Happy Valley? I don't know. Uh, James Franklin seems to short circuit every single time. It's a somewhat big game. And Penn State is going for their 10th win of the season. So maybe he feels the pressure and starts doing a bunch of wacky 
you know what, and Michigan State comes out of Happy Valley on top. But yes, just for sake of conversation, this is where we're at. Hey, shout out to Michigan State for having a really good APR score in the classroom. They beat out a lot of other five-win teams, a lot of other four-win teams that are looking for their fifth win. And Michigan State is amongst the best in the country with APR score, and that could be the thing that gets them to Myrtle Beach or the Serve Pro Bonanza Bowl or whatever it's called. I don't know, the Cotton Candy with Sprinkles Bowl. I have no idea, but hey, there is a road path. I hope that made sense for the people listening on the podcast Essentially, yeah, we need hmm, 11, 11 of those teams with five wins to lose should UNLV also win their game. But yeah, oh boy, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long, long weekend just following all this. But hey, you know where to catch us all. Locked on Spartans. We will get it all after the, the weekend. Of course, we'll recap the PK85. But before all that, hey, we still got one more episode. We're going to preview the Penn State game, get a little bit into the Nittany Lions. We will be taking a look at the PK85. And hey, yesterday's episode with Robbie Hummel got a little into that as well. Also, his thoughts on Michigan State. He had some great stories about his playing days in the third segment. So there you have it. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I hope you had as much fun as I did because, oh boy, what a what a time killer, you know, to, to look all this up and do this. But it was, it was a good time. All right, until then, hey, keep it real. Enjoy the rest of your week. Love you all. Go Green.